Hi, and welcome to Book Club, a sales enablement pro podcast. I'm Olivia Fuller. Sales enablement is a constantly evolving space, and we're here to help professionals stay up to date on the latest trends and best practices so they can be more effective in their jobs. Sales enablement as a function has undergone massive transformation in recent years. And as it's continued to be elevated more and more as a strategic business function to empower revenue growth, practitioners and business leaders want to know what good looks like. But in sales enablement, there's no silver bullet or secret sauce that will lead to success for everyone. However, there are some core components of successful sales enablement that professionals can apply to their own organizations to drive meaningful outcomes. Roderick Jefferson's new book, Sales Enablement 3.0, covers just that, and I'm so excited to have him join us to talk a bit more about his book. Roderick, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? First of all, Thank you very much. I'm absolutely honored to be here and can't wait to dive into this. So a little bit about myself. Um, I am the consummate salesperson. I started as a BDR, so got a lot of love for them. I understand that role and how difficult it is. Got promoted into AE, went to President's Club, did all that fun stuff, and then got promoted to sales leader and promptly turned it down. I know it sounds odd, but it's because I figured out that I absolutely loved the process of selling versus actually taking down big deals. So I stepped at that point into my first training role, and that was years ago at AT AT&T, and I've been fortunate since then. I have run enablement at Siebel Systems, um, NetApp, eBay, HP, Oracle, Salesforce, and Marketo. So while that was a great run, um, I decided I was going to be a masochist and go out on my own and give it a shot as a consultant, which went really, really well. Had a great time for about three years consulting and helping companies. Started in the SMB space and then slowly got pulled further upstream um, by some larger clients and then realized I had done everything I wanted to do as a consultant and it was time to come back in house. So as of today, I am the uh, vice president of field enablement at Netscope, which is a network security company. Fantastic. So as I mentioned, your new book is titled Sales Enablement 3.0. So I'm wondering, can you just tell our audience a little bit about what Sales Enablement 3.0 is all about? So how have you really seen sales enablement evolve over the last few years, given your wide breadth of experience? And then what do you think is really the current state of the function right now? Well, I'll go backwards and then I'll come back to today if I can. So if you would have asked me this a couple of years ago, I would have said sales enablement was about breaking the complexity of sales into practical ideas through scalable and repeatable processes that will lead to accelerated speed to revenue, increased seller productivity, and customers for life, and then ultimately leading to increased revenue. Now to answer your second question and why I wrote the book, we have completely changed. Now I believe that sales enablement is more of an innovative approach focused on increasing sales productivity through systematic, personalized, and collaborative approaches designed to support the buyer through to fuel what I'm calling the conversation economy. You know, there was a time where we could talk about how do we help them increase productivity, decrease pain. Well, COVID changes everything as we know, right? And even pre to, pre-COVID, things were starting to shift to where enablement now has become more of a strategic function that is woven into the fabric of companies. We should be a part of the go-to-market strategy. We are actually a differentiator if done correctly for both internal and external messaging and positioning around 
the key differentiation, competitive advantage, and business value of a given company. So we've stepped away from what I call the kitty table now, and we sit squarely at the strategic table at a C level. And it's interesting, the last three companies I was at, sales enablement and now field enablement has be, was actually one of the top five initiatives for the overall company, which really speaks volumes to how much we moved away from being just training. Absolutely. I could not agree more that sales enablement really must be a strategic function and viewed that way by the C-suite. So given that seat at the table, um, you described sales enablement 3.0 as both an art and a science. So I'm curious, what do each of those aspects look like in enablement today? So the art and the science, and why is it important to have both working in tandem in order to be successful in sales enablement? Fantastic question. And I, I, when I was putting this together, I was like, how do I bring both the art and the science together that I've seen over the last few years? And I realized something really quickly. There are no silver bullets there's no single approach that'll guarantee success. However, there is a formula just like any other successful process, program or tool that requires a combination of practical application, trial and error, mixed with a lot of conversations with different sales leaders to understand what their wants, their needs and their expectations are. So you take the practical application piece, you tie it together with learning how to and how not to, you look at it from you know, the, the processes, programs, platforms, tools, all of those things that we do, but there's another piece and here's where the art comes in. Think of an orchestra. You've got strings, percussion, woodwind, brass, and they're all trying to play the same song and sometimes the notes are out of, out of key, they're out of fate. Now that's align that to the business units. You've got marketing, product marketing, product management, HR, engineering, sales, and enablement. Same thing that's happening with the customer. We're all trying to do the right thing for the customer, but most of the time there's a lack of collaboration or coordination. Sometimes we're stepping over each other. Sometimes multiple messaging is going to the same prospect or customer until just like the orchestra, internally one person or one organization that I call sales enablement steps up and taps the stand. And all of that chaos before <clears throat> now becomes a beautiful piece of music. There's the art piece of it. That is a fantastic analogy. I love that orchestra. So you mentioned this also that your book lays out a formula or kind of a blueprint for building a world-class enablement organization. So what are the core components of an effective enablement strategy in your opinion? I, I think there are eight pieces and they fall into three categories. I look at it as strategy, architecture, and then reinforcement. So in the strategy piece, it's about defining and building a charter that outlines and defines what enablement means to your company and what it doesn't mean. And I don't mean this isn't my job. I'm looking at it more of, here's what we are best at when we bring the largest amount of value. Here's how we can collaborate. And also here's how we can be what I call the translators of dialects and languages. And let me explain that briefly. We go out and we meet with different customers and prospects. We come back and we say, product marketing, absolutely love the first call pitch. Problem is slide eight gets a little fuzzy. Can we either smooth that out or remove it? Then we come back to product management and say, we've heard the same request for feature 10 times. How do we get that moved up on the release cycle? Step over to sales and talk to them about not our ICP of ideal customer profile, 
but because we don't have enough acronyms, I'll add another one. IEP, what's our ideal employee profile for our sellers? Because as companies grow, the maturation cycle requires a different type of seller. You may have that volume velocity sell up front, and then as you grow, you've got more complex and or larger big ticket items. So you need a more mature seller. Then we go to HR and say, as we are out recruiting, here's what we've worked with sales to define as a new IEP. Here's the new look for the recruiting piece. And on that point, I think enablement has to be a part of the overall interview process as well. And so then you've got to look at how do you make learning a marathon and not a sprint? And I'm talking at everything from talent acquisition, to role-specific onboarding, to uh, business acumen at a role-specific level, to coaching and reinforcement for your first and second line managers on two levels. One, net new manager for the first time. And second, the legacy manager or that old dog that we've got to teach new tricks because obviously we are all looking at things differently now. Then you've got measurements. And I'm not talking about smiley sheets and butts and seats like we used to look at. I'm talking about what are we doing to impact revenue generating metrics? And then finally, you've got to have a succession plan in place because how are you going to get folks from that individual contributor level to leader? And I don't necessarily mean just sales leader. They may figure out along their journey that, hey, I want to go look at product marketing or product management, or I may want to go look at uh, this thing that we're calling sales enablement. I think that fits me better. Mm. Yeah, I love that holistic view of all the possibilities of how salespeople can grow in their careers and how sales enablement can support that. So you did mention a few core partners that sales enablement works with in the business. And going back kind of to that orchestra analogy as well, uh, one of those core leaders is the sales leader. And you talk about the importance of really understanding the needs and expectations of sales leaders to be able to design effective enablement programs. So what are some of your best practices for really building alignment with sales leaders? Well, yeah, it may sound corny and, and simple, but I start every conversation with sales leaders with a single three-point question. Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to coach? Or do you want me to fix? And the reason I do that is because it allows me to put on one, for, to put on the right set of ears, if you will, and hear what it is that they need. And secondly, it shows them that this conversation is all about them, right? The second is I approach sales leaders with a simple, again, three-part <laughs> um, process. And that is listen, learn, then lead. Too many times as sales enablement practitioners, we wanna dive in because we're fixers by nature, but that may not be what that sales leader needs. And then the, the third piece is when I'm building out a sales enablement org, my goal is that everyone on my team has carried a bag in some sort prior to going into enablement, whether you're a BDR, an AE, a CSM, you're in channels or, or wherever you may have been. And the reason is there's an enormous amount of credibility by saying I've walked in your shoes and I understand what's going on. Plus it raises our BS filter a lot higher with sales because we've done that job. We can go, that's not gonna be two weeks. It's more like four days, come on now. Yes, I love that point about really having credibility with sales leaders. And, you know, one of those ways that you can also build credibility is just by furthering the sales leader's strategic goals and their priorities. So in your opinion and in your experience, how does sales enablement help further the strategic priorities of sales leaders? First and foremost, 
don't be afraid to say, I don't know. We don't have the answers to everything and we're not the fix to every problem. We are, matter of fact, we're not the break fix organization at all. And back to credibility. When you say that to a sales leader, most people say, oh no, I'm supposed to know this. I can't say, I don't know. No, no, no. What it does is it gives you credibility because it gives you an opportunity to learn from them. And it also forces you to be the perpetual learner and listener to learn from the sales leader. The next is talk to them in language that they speak. Don't try and get them to speak sales enablement jargon. Too many times we throw all of these cool acronyms out thinking they're going to pick it up. No, listen to them as your internal customer, not your stakeholder. And that's because with a stakeholder, that means you're beholden to them. As an internal customer, you're doing everything to ensure that they are successful and satisfied, but it also has to be mutually equitable. And that's where the third thing comes in. You cannot be a sales scribe. You cannot be seen as sales support. You cannot be seen as the break fix organization. You need to outline what your value is that you bring and what and agree with the sales leader upon what enablement means in your company at this particular point of the maturation cycle and come back on a regular basis to make sure that as the company is changing, messaging, positioning, competitive landscape, hiring, um, acquisitions, those kind of things, that you revisit what that definition means and agree upon that so that when you have your deliverables, which should be no more than five, because above five, you're setting yourself up for failure. But when you have those deliverables, you can always come back and you have a baseline with them. And that way, the goalpost doesn't move right when you think you're about to jump into the end zone and score. Yes, absolutely. And you actually touched on something that I want to dig a little bit deeper into, which is really just defining your deliverables and how you're going to measure results so that you really have that alignment. So what are some of the core metrics that you recommend looking at in order to really just prove the business impact of sales enablement? I love, love, love that question because for so long we have been seen, as I said earlier, as smiley sheets and butts and seats. And those days have changed. If you don't have hard line metrics, then you don't have a lot of value to the organization or to sales in general, and they will completely cut you off. So to that point, I believe there are two types of enablement um, metrics. First, there are the metrics that we influence, and then there's the others that we own. And let me say this as a caveat. If you're in enablement and you say that you're driving revenue, I call BS unless you're carrying a bag. We are influencing, we do not drive revenue. Let me say that again, we influence and impact, we do not drive revenue unless you have an actual number on your head that your team is responsible for. And so on the influence side, it's things like accreditation completions, um, average deal size, collateral frequency usage, deal velocity, pipeline created, closed deals, product mix, uh, quota attainment, quarter over quarter, annual, time to first close, win and loss rate. We impact those with our processes and programs and tools. The things that we actually own are things like the accreditation uh, process, the biannual needs analysis, the program-based surveys, the usage stats, the communications, the e-learnings, all of the pieces that come together that we help, as I talked about that uh, journey and, and marathon of learning earlier, that we own. And then we come back on the back end with reinforcement. And that reinforcement is working directly with and partnering with the sales leaders to ensure that they own the adoption, the execution, and most importantly, 
the positive modeling of all of those programs that we have. We can give you the best, most world-class programs, processes, platforms, and tools in the world. But if the sales leader, first and second line, doesn't buy into it and own it, we're dead in the water. Mm. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. The metrics that sales enablement has influence over versus those that enablement can own. Um, so you are very forward thinking in sales enablement. And so I'm curious, uh, how do you think the function will continue to evolve in the next year and possibly even beyond that? Oh, phenomenal question. I'll give a little book teaser. Don't be afraid of AI. Make it your friend, right? Uh, it's, it's everywhere. And I think that AI is going to play a larger piece and role in sales enablement than ever before going forward. Um, I also think that the metrics that I just outlined, and there are separate metrics for SEs and separate metrics for CSMs. Those are going to be your best friend. If you don't have dashboards right now, start getting them together out of your CRM. So metrics are gonna play a bigger role. I also believe that we are be going to become more and more ingrained in the fabric and the culture of companies because I'm seeing more and more CEOs now that are putting enablement on their top priority list and their deliverables list. The next is build a um, field enablement council as I call it. And that is bring all of the players together the product marketing, marketing, product management, HR, et al., bringing them together once a month, once a quarter to make sure that everyone is on the same page. You have to become the orchestra master. That is going to become more and more important because the changes in landscape um, from a um, competitive perspective, mergers and acquisitions are going to play a larger piece in what enablement actually does. Determine where you are in the maturation cycle of your company and start building for where your CEO is trying to take you. Start that build today. Don't be afraid of scale and automation and don't be afraid of AI. Those are going to be a integral part of enablement going forward and play an even bigger piece. At one company, I was even reading out to the board what our metrics were on a quarterly basis. I believe that Enablement is going to have a higher profile in companies than ever before even thought of. Mm, that is fantastic advice. And I love your perspective on the future of enablement. Roderick, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to our audience today about your book. Thank you for having me. Again, I'm absolutely honored and I'm dying to get that baby uh, that I call my book out there to the world so that they can see and grasp and, and my hope is start executing on sales enablement 3.0, which is I, I call the um, blueprint to sales enablement excellence. If you want to get there, go grab the book. And to our audience, you can find Roderick's book now on Amazon. So we'll point you to where you can access that as well. And thanks for listening. For more insights, tips, and expertise from sales enablement leaders, visit salesenablement.pro. If there's something you'd like to share or a topic you'd like to learn more about, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you.